When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. On Commons People this week, Theresa May's Brexit Plan B is just Plan A again. What makes her think that what she tried to renegotiate in December will succeed in January? Mr Speaker, this really does feel a bit like Groundhog Day. But backbenchers have other ideas. Yvette Cooper's amendment is suggesting that we uh, delay Article 50 to the 31st of December 2019. I think that is a disaster. And meanwhile, Parliament is finally dragged into the 21st century. And I'm delighted, truly delighted, to be able to confirm to the House today that a substantive motion on proxy leave in the case of maternity, paternity and adoption has been tabled today. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh. It feels like Westminster is taking a quick breather this week before the Brexit chaos begins again. Joining me to make sense of it all is desperate Paul War. Hi, Hi there, Paul. Arj. More on that later. <laughs> uh, we also have the man who wants to snog Theresa May, Tory Deputy Chairman James Cleverley. Hello, mate. Hi, James. Ned Simons is also back, partly to prove that we've managed a totally peaceful transition of hosts and duties <laughs> on the Not podcast. Peace. I was hoping I wasn't going to be the Theresa May snogging person you're introducing. But it's a smooth transition. Yeah. Hi, Ned. Hello. Uh, much excitement this week over a backbench attempt to delay Brexit, led by Yvette Cooper, and a host of other amendments to the Prime Minister's Brexit strategy. Um, we're now going to hear from Cabinet Minister Liam Fox, who's accused MPs of trying to steal Brexit from the people. You've got a leave population and a Remain Parliament. Parliament has not got the right to hijack the Brexit process because Parliament said to the people of this country, we will make a, we make a contract with you, you will make the decision and we will honour it. What we are now getting are some of those who were always absolutely opposed to the result of the referendum trying to hijack Brexit and, in fact, steal the result from the people. Paul, what's going on with these amendments? Are people like Yvette Cooper trying to steal Brexit? Well, put it this way, um, after a 230 vote defeat, as James will probably concede, number 10 decided actually um, something's got to change. Uh, so it's up to you guys. Can you tell us what you want? You, you told us what you don't want. Can you tell us what you want? And so MPs have tried to pick up that gauntlet and Yvette Cooper and Nick Bowles, after various sort of permutations of the, what was called the Bowles plan, is now the Cooper Bowles plan, um, i tr- come up with this extraordinary sort of device, which is unprecedented, you've got to say, which is basically a bill to ram through in one day uh, uh, a means to make sure that not the government, but Parliament takes control of parliamentary business for one day and rams through a bill. And the bill will effectively say a no-deal Brexit is not possible if Parliament hasn't decided on something else by February 26. So that's it in a nutshell. It's an attempt to do two things. One, avoid no-deal Brexit, take it off the table for which we think there might be a Commons majority, but secondly, also, to sort of give Parliament a bit more control to force the PM. Because all these amendments, as Number 10 have told us in the last 24 hours, that the thing about those amendments, and there's going to be more next week, um, the only one that, that distinguishes itself for being a, really a, being a troublemaker is Cooper Bowles, because it forces the PM to do something. Everything else 
is not binding. Now, it might be politically binding, but it's not legally binding. And number 10 conceded to us, well, various sources conceded to us overnight and today, that actually, look, if th this is why this matters, because it's going to change the game. Uh, w what are people in, in government saying about this, James? Well, uh, I... I Usual caveat, mine is a party appointment rather than a government appointment, so I'm not a minister. But I do talk to colleagues both in government and backbenchers, and a lot of people are really, really concerned about this amendment uh, on a number of levels. Um, one, because it is self-evidently not about delaying or whatever. It's about stopping Brexit, basically. It's about stopping Brexit. Um, and anyone who's unsure of that, the fact that the... Uh, the, the the Lord's end of this process is being championed by Lord Adonis, who has been admirably clear and relentless and obsessive about his desire to prevent Brexit, I think is a real indicator that what this is about is about stopping Brexit. But more than that, it introduces a level of constitutional vandalism, which I think is really, really bad news. Uh, the way Parliament has worked has evolved successfully it's it's the longest and most successful democracy in the world and it has changed through evolution and what this could do is in a desire to address a a very important but short-term issue it's going to smash up centuries of evolved parliamentary procedure um, and unleash a whole load of unknowns in terms of what might happen in the relationship between uh, the commons uh, you know, between the legislature and the executive I'm really very uncomfortable with it not because of what the implications for Brexit although I'm uncomfortable with that but just more generally because it's just really bad practice really bad practice and Ned Jacob Rees-Mogg had a helpful suggestion actually for the government to try and get around this <laughs> didn't he <laughs> yeah he suggested that uh, they just shut parliament down prorogue it early stop anything else going through you on board with that James is that a good idea Look, I make my broader point that when you start when you start using really big procedural hammers uh, to, to crack the various nuts that are being presented, you, you start getting into really, really difficult places. There is a really easy way, and I say this to all my colleagues, there's a really, really easy way of resolving this uh, for people who want to give time for business, for people who want to make sure Brexit happens. There's a really, really simple way of doing that. That's vote for the bloody deal. <laughs> vote for the deal, and all these problems go away and then we can get on with the other you know really important stuff like keeping the economic growth going keeping the wage growth going dealing with you know the nhs and an education all this, you know remember that st remember that stuff <laughs> ned you're too young but <laughs> there was a time when that was the really important stuff that politicians obsessed about and rightly so um and we're doing so much good work i mean part of my job as deputy chairman of the party is a sales job it's 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 to remind our uh, activists and members about all the work that we're doing, and we're doing so much fantastic work. I would say that, wouldn't I? Would. But we are, but we are doing. No, we are doing. You really got some good, good job work. figures this week. That's we got true. some fantastic um, job figures and wage growth. Uh, the stuff that's going through about you know uh, um, high quality two year degrees and apprenticeships and NHS investment, all that kind of good stuff. We are doing it, but my God, trying to get it into the public consciousness is like pulling teeth because, understandably, people are obsessing about 
about Brexit. Well, the public are as well. Public, yeah, no, I, I mean people. I mean the public. But James, isn't the other really, really easy way out of this, as you to use your phrase, is to get MPs and the government to back the Morrison Amendment, which has appeared on the order paper, which gives a way out for you amongst the Brexiteers and amongst the DUP of saying, look, we have a firm sunset clause on this thing called an Northern Irish backstop. Isn't that really where you should be heading? And you should be saying it a bit more proactively that actually well, we're attracted to, is the phrase used by Whitehall sources today, we're attracted to the amendment. Shouldn't you be saying that publicly as well? Uh, well, look, the, the, the broader point that we've always made, um, a number of us have been making it, is that the, the easy thing to do is to say what you don't like. And you will have heard us say this so many times. It's really easy to point at things saying, don't like that, don't like that, don't like that, don't like that. But eventually we have got to come to a point where we agree on something. Uh, Andrew's amendment uh, could be a route to that. Of course, it's not binding on the EU. So it... it, it but it'll it, give you it, ammo to go to the yeah, EU. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, and, and we'll see. The, 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 the way that this process is, uh, is working is it moves very, very fast. There are constant amendments, uh, you know, sorry, constant changes. Amendments are put down, amendments are withdrawn. Um, and we'll see how it plays out. But I do think that as a parliament, we need to grow up and we need to recognise that the British people expect us to deal with this. This is why I'm so against a second referendum, because I think the message that underpins British politicians saying, oh, it's all a bit too difficult and we can't decide, so we're just going to not bother and ask you, the people, to dig us out of a hole of our own making, I think is untenable. Quite rightly, people are saying, hang on a second, that is literally what you are paid to do. <laughs> Your job is to decide stuff like this. But and when it really matters, you go, oh, it's a bit difficult. Can you do my homework for me? But that brings us back to Cooper. I mean, there is a suggestion from some of your colleagues, which you may agree with, which is that one of the big problems with Cooper is its constitutional vandalism. It's mm -hmm. a massive change in the way we work. And its drawback, from her point of view, is it doesn't have to just go through the commons in one day. It's got to go through the lords. And the lords, you can't guillotine debate, whereas you can in the Commons. So it'd be, it's surely, what do you think about this idea that there may be some Tory Brexiteer peers who actually might want to talk for quite a long time and talk out this bill? Would that be uh, something that you can see happening? It, look, potentially, all kinds of things can happen. And this is the point I was making uh, about when you, when you try and overnight smash up centuries of evolved practice, there are, you know... Um, it's like making a more complicated tax regime, for example. Clever people take your increasingly complicated tax regime and find loopholes in it. And the more complicated you make it, the more loopholes there are. And this will have loopholes. And I'm quite sure that, um, that Yvette Cooper hasn't thought of them all. Other people may well do. And those loopholes, uh, and they are inevitable, uh, because there are always loopholes in everything, uh, will be exploited. And so it might not even address the things. And as I say, you know, there well, is you've been down to the Lords. I remember once you famously went to the, the Lords End from the mm. Commons just to watch what was going on on Brexit, keep an eye on peers. Mm. Um, do you fancy going up there on, on that day when this is going through the Lords and sort of <laughs> smiling <laughs> at some of your, your Brexiteer <laughs> colleagues as they, as they filibuster? Look, I, don't, I don't think this is the right way forward at all. And I don't want to see things filibustered. I don't like... But it could happen. It could be it good for you, couldn't it? All kinds of things could happen, Paul. I mean, that is the point. All kinds of things could happen. Yeah. Isn't the whole point here, though, and, and why this might be happening, it's because we've got a hung parliament. So if MPs are kind of inhibiting the government's ability to govern properly, surely it's time for a general election. Um, 
I've heard that senior figures in the Conservative Party are talking about that now. Can you see an election happening, James? Uh, we don't want a general election. I don't think a general election would resolve things because the split isn't on party lines. On um, you know, and and our let, let's say um, we, we I had the opportunity to wave a magic wand. We skip all the kind of messy actually getting votes and that kind of stuff. And we just jump straight to us having what I don't know thirty forty uh, seat majority. Well, it's entirely feasible. There'd still be a range of opinions, even in a majority government, on this particular issue, um, and and we'd we'd be we'd be in the same place we are now, which is having to, as I say, grow up, grasp the nettle, and and vote through a set of proposals which work, even if they're not exactly 100% what we personally would have put forward. And I don't think having an extra 20, 30, or 40 uh, MPs for one party or another would, would automatically resolve this issue. So, I, you know, I very feel strongly that uh, a general election is not a way out. And again... It's like a delay to Article 50. It's like all these kind of very procedural amendments. If it's, for some people, it's just a way of kicking the can down the road so they don't have to make any difficult decisions. And as I say, our job is to make difficult decisions. Are you election or, ready, though? Are you, have you got enough money? Born ready, mate. Born ready. you got people in Check place? out these guns. Yeah, <laughs> we were born ready. You, you ready to go any time? Look, we fight elections every year now. I mean, this is a big thing. We fight big elections every year. Um, uh, so if it's you know if it's not local government elections which really matter, uh, it's um, city mayoral elections, it's police and crime commissioner elections, it's devolved government. We fight elections all the time. I don't. I'm not giving away state secrets to say nobody wants a general election. As I say, I'm not even sure it resolve anything. But we are always ready. Right. Um, just one more on this. Um, talking about delaying Article 50 a lot. Um, Paul, when when you asked number ten about this, oh, that delaying was, that Article was fun 50, yeah. uh, in a lobby briefing, <laughs> you were called desperate, which is <laughs> pretty extraordinary. But it then transpires that it looks like the government may have to delay Article Fifty. Well, exactly. What happened after PMQs? Just for to fill James in here is that um, after PMQs, we have a, a little briefing with the Prime Minister's spokesman every week, and you sort of tease out a few more details of what the PM did and didn't mean, and what's next on the agenda. So it was inevitable that, given that the Cooper uh, Amendment was in the air, that we asked about that. And what was interesting was the number ten spokesman said that actually, at its heart, Cooper's amendment was an attempt to significantly delay. Article 50, a significant extend Article 50. Um, so all of us, our ears picked up significantly. Well, that are you suggesting that somehow an insignificant delay might be okay, like a few weeks rather than a few months? Uh, and so I asked the question. And number 10 spokesman got so upset, he said, well, I think that's a very, very desperate, desperate interpretation of what I've said. But everybody else then, and then I immediately said, well, it's a desperate reply to a proper question. And um, apart from the bounce that goes on there, <laughs> what's interesting is actually that number 10, overnight, have been making absolutely clear that actually if Cooper goes ahead and they may not have any choice, then a now ex short extension to Article 50 may happen. More yeah. importantly, a, a government minister told me off the record, a technical extension is not out of the question at all because a technical extension means we might get the deal done, meaningful vote done, but we're simply running out of road to get the legislation through. So we could go to the EU and the EU would say, yeah, all right, we'll give you a few more weeks. You could technically extend it. Number 10 owned there. Well done, Paul. Well, we hope so, <laughs> but I'm sure James <laughs> would never agree with that. <laughs> uh, just to get outside the Westminster bubble, but stay on Brexit... Um, this week, Sony said it is moving its European headquarters to the Netherlands due to Brexit. Airbus branded the government's handling of Brexit a disgrace. And to top it all off, 
the inventor, Sir James Dyson, who actually backed leave, is moving his head office to Singapore. Um, and here is the Airbus CEO, Tom Enders, urging people not to listen to the Brexiteer madness about the merits of no deal. Please don't listen to the Brexiteer's madness, which asserts that because we have huge plants here, we will not move and we will always be here. They are wrong. James, the business minister, Richard Harrington, has called the comments from the Airbus CEO a disaster today. Do you agree? You never want to hear, you know, people talk about uh, moving business, moving some of their business, any of their business out of the UK. It is worth me saying that those messages are being counterbalanced by record levels of um, uh, direct foreign investment in the UK. Um, and, and so you have to see, so to a, to a large extent, I mean, businesses move. International businesses flow and they relocate, they, they shift emphasis. It is part of what happens, inevitably, because Brexit is the backdrop against which everything else is projected, that when businesses do that, everyone's going to go, oh, it's because of Brexit, or oh, it's despite Brexit. But this is, this is what happens. But as I say, it's never, it's never good news hearing comments uh, where serious and credible business leaders are, are saying bad things um, uh, about you know, the UK business environment even when they are counterbalanced by other positive voices um, and, uh, and, and billions flowing inwards into the UK uh, economy. But we have to do something about it. And I would say this, wouldn't I? There is a way of taking that uncertainty off the table, uh, of making sure that we uh, reinforce and amplify our credentials as the best place in the world to do business, and that's to vote for the deal. Vote to, and then we can get on with all that other stuff. Because... Um, yeah, these decisions have not been implemented yet. People are talking about what they may well do in the future. We can deal with that. We can, we can keep the, that money, those people, those jobs in the UK, and we could do it within days, within a few weeks. But Richard Harrington was interesting because he didn't. It, the one thing he said that went quite to the extreme of this was he said he was delighted <laughs> by the Airbus CEO's remarks. Delighted, and he basically was kind of almost goading the PM to fire him because he did, didn't he say he said actually I may get fired for this, but you know I'm sure you've seen the quotes, James, haven't you? Um, <laughs> what do you think of your colleague Richard Harrington this morning? Is he just being Mr. <laughs> honest, Mr. <laughs> candid? We're all honest and candid in politics, Paul, all the time. <laughs> why, are you la- why are you laughing? Why are you la- <laughs> look, I look. wish that were true. I remember at one point Richard Harrington was touted in, in a report somewhere as a possible Trojan horse or stalking horse candidate for the leadership. But anyway, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Can, pop can I just say, can I just say, uh, can I just say, anyone that uses the phrase stalking horse about the Conservative <laughs> leadership and then goes on to claim they understand anything about contemporary <laughs> politics deserves to get deserves to get you know ridiculed beyond the belief. old rules the old rules which have not been in place literally for decades <laughs> but uh, and you know and apparently you also have to wear a monocle and a, a top hat and arrive in your in your you, you can know, tell in, you can in, tell in who's your, briefing those but, stories can't you about that <laughs> by, about how old so, the rules are um, no look the so that there is a whole, there are, will be increasingly now a whole sequence of events which focuses uh, minds, and perhaps that is no bad thing. I, and perhaps that's what the, the point that Richard was saying is that we politicians make decisions, and when we make decisions, they have real world consequences. They have consequences to British businesses, to people's jobs, to people's homes and livelihoods and education that is the responsibility that we hold this is not some 
This is not a debating society. At the end of our debates and at the end of our votes, we don't all just you know, retire to the common room and pat each other on the back for that terribly clever phraseology or that terribly clever put that people's lives change. We attempt to make decisions to change people's lives for the better. And if ever we forget that our overriding responsibility is to make this country a better place, then we probably do deserve a slap. And I think the point that Richard was making is when, when, when someone makes comments as unambiguous as those, we really ought to listen. Not necessarily agree, but we absolutely have to listen and we have to make sure our actions are, are, are taken and the decisions are taken with the full knowledge that there are real-world implications. But it's interesting, this, isn't it? Because businesses have been warning about the impact of Brexit for, you know, years now, since before the referendum, but it's, it doesn't seem to have made much difference um, among the opinions on well, the Tory-back benches. Of, but also amongst the public. A yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. Leave voters, even in areas where jobs may go, like the North East, um, you know, they're threatened with Nissan going or wherever... A lot of the Leave voters, actually, it's water for ducks back. They've heard it a lot. You, you see the Vox Pops where they say, yeah, it might affect me, but, you know, I still want to bloody leave. And so that, what, that, that is fascinating. And I think that's what some MPs in Parliament are actually trying to represent um, when they say, look, you know, no deal actually has a, bit, a clean Brexit, has quite a bit of public, public support. So, I mean, that's the thing that PM's got to handle in the next few weeks, of course. Yeah. Um, right, let's move on from Brexit. Um, so is there anything else? Uh, yes. Uh, is there any else? Exactly. <laughs> uh, a parliamentary first this week, or, well, could possibly begin next week. So ministers are finally backing moves to allow proxy voting in the Commons. Um, this comes after the Labour MP Tulip Sadiq delayed the caesarean birth of her son so she could turn up in a wheelchair and vote on the Brexit deal last week, which is seemingly ridiculous um well amazing from her but ridiculous that she had to do that um anyway here's a clip of joe swinson who's been at the forefront of this battle asking an urgent question on the issue in the commons it is shameful mr speaker that last week the honorable member for hampstead and kilburn was put in the invidious position of having to try to make a choice between potential health risks to her baby and whether or not her constituents could have their voice heard on the biggest issue of our time. And nobody, nobody should be put into that kind of position. Ned, you were watching this urgent question. Mm. What happened and how did this long overdue change? Yeah, so essentially on Monday, uh, MPs will be asked to approve the change, which will see. So if uh, you've just had a baby, whether you're a man or a woman, so even maternity leave or paternity leave, or just adopted, uh, you get to have another MP vote on your behalf. So you still get your vote recorded, but you actually have to physically travel down. And actually, in that urgent question, there was lots of really interesting contributions from female MPs talking about the difficulties of being a new mum and having to travel down, particularly if you're from far away. Uh, there was one pointing out, you know, she had to, had to come down to Parliament with her baby, vote, go all the way back, was home by midnight, and then received a phone call from the whips. You have to come back tomorrow morning again. That's, you know, that just can't be, can't be a good way to run things. And the importance of um, their vote being recorded is that a lot of MPs, if they didn't vote, would then get kind of attacked in the press for, oh, why didn't you turn up? Why didn't you make your voice heard? So it means they will have their opinion recorded, um, which is only a good thing. I mean, I think it's obviously overdue, isn't it, James? I mean, do you, what's your view on the, on the change? I think um, the nature of Parliament is changing and evolving. So parliamentarians are, are getting younger. Um, Thankfully, finally, we're getting to the stage where the balance of male and female MPs 
is at least starting to reflect the, the, the balance in society as a whole. These are all fantastically good things, and, and Parliament has got to change the way it works to recognise the fact that its membership is also uh, changing. Um, the, the reason that sometimes things which outside of Parliament people go, well, God, this is just self-evidently simple... Uh, there are times when it's not always quite as, as 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 simple as that because of the weird nature of what our votes mean and how our votes happen. I think that the idea of just saying, oh, we can do proxy voting or electronic voting or whatever that might seem perfectly sensible externally is not quite as, mm. as clear cut as that. We, we do live uh, weird lives as, as members of parliament and we have fantastic privileges. For example, um, uh, you, you don't have... Like maternity pay, you don't drop down to statutory maternity pay. You're paid full salary, um, and as we've seen with um, the honourable member for Sheffield Hallam, you can basically take a year off <laughs> <laughs> on full pay. How did you slip that? No, no one else, no one else gets that kind of so, privilege. So, so you have so concerns we, about proxy voting? Then are you worried uh, about some impacts? I don't think it's as simple as just saying, "Oh, it should happen, and it will happen like this, and boom, that's it." So we do have to make sure that Parliament is and is seen to be a good place for you know, MPs with families. I think that's really important, and this, this is part of that process. But um, if, if sometimes people feel frustrated that we're not just saying, oh, right, let's do it, and we'll have it on Monday, and that's it, and that we are kind of chewing this over at what seems to be an incredibly slow place, pace, there is a reason for that, because our our job's not like any other job. I'm not saying it's harder, it's just different. Um, uh, and so I'm, glad, so I'm glad that we are looking seriously at this. I think we should also look seriously at making sure that, um, that, that things like the whipping, uh, the whipping system is sensible, because that, you know, I understand Tulip's uh, passion about this. She's very, very passionate about Brexit. I understand why she wanted to vote. But you look at the math, no one really thought that the success or otherwise of that vote was going to hinge on her being there or not. Mm. But her view was she wanted to register her vote. I totally get that. I respect that. Um, and I just think there, there are, there's probably a basket of things that we could and should look at, proxy voting being in that basket. She, she was often a pair as well, mm. which she, the Speaker admitted. Yep. Um, the thing is that Labour whip said, well, we couldn't trust the government to, not to yeah. break it, which, which is Rubbish. a classic sort of example of how sort of relations have broken down normally yeah. there wouldn't be that kind of stuff but we're back in the 1970s aren't we the hung parliament as i mm. mentioned earlier that's the context of all this so every vote matters even if it's a vote where actually there's a massive majority against mm. every vote matters and what i thought was really interesting was tulip sadiq saying yesterday uh, how she praised the prime minister for coming up to her on the day of that meaningful vote and taking the time to come up to her while she was in her wheelchair mm. and, and check out how she was and showed a genuine human interest in what, what, how she was doing, mm. as did Andrea Leadsom. And I thought that was a rare glimmer of actually, you know, cross-party, genuine interaction. Uh, and we don't see it often enough. There, there are things, and, and making Parliament a, a credible option for professional women or a, a credible profession for women transcends party politics um, he says before going on to remind everyone that we're on our second female prime minister so um, but it, it matters it matters that that actually after centuries of having parliament and a century of having uh, um, women having, having the right to vote and having the right to stand we are still only 
on our second female prime minister. Yeah. And we do all collectively, cross-party, we've got to get a grip of that. And you're a long way as a party from having equal, um, yeah, yeah. equal number of men and women yeah. MPs, let's be honest, yeah, the abso- Tories yeah, abso- are... Absolutely, absolutely. Way behind um, full disclosure here, we are four blokes <laughs> in this room <laughs> talking yeah, about Yeah, Rachel's this. outside working but on I mean, the story. I mean... And Jasmine. Paul, uh, sorry, James, you, you've, you've got a family... Yeah. You know, this, this this doesn't just apply to women, does it? No, and, and, and it's one of these things where you do make sacrifices. Um, and it's like a lot of it's like a lot of jobs, particularly now in, in, in the modern uh, world of work. The you know, some of the old structures, some of the old support structures that you you get in you know, perhaps join as an apprentice and retire with a gold watch after you know forty years of service, kind of working environment. As as that changes, and it changes really, really quickly, some of the traditional structures that supported family life and that kind of stuff are breaking away. It does affect us as parliamentarians, but it also affects loads of other different people in the world of work. Um, and we've got to get our heads around it in terms of where we work. And at the same time, we've also got to get heads around it in terms of the implications for you know, the expansion of um, you know, uh, part-time working, contract working, uh, digital working, working from home, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all happening very, very quickly. So we're living it and trying to legislate it for it at the same time. It's not easy, um, but sometimes actually having these, you know, this, a rude awakening for us on our home turf is a really good reminder that some of the challenges that we're trying to thrash out for ourselves are exactly the challenges that other people are living through every day. Yeah, interesting. Um, right, let's move on. It's time for the quiz. The quiz. Uh, the quiz. And given these the moves on um, on proxy voting, um, I thought we I would ask you all about parliamentary first. Oh, hang on. Am I involved as well? You yeah. are involved, James. Man. Yes. Yeah. Don't worry. It's not. Oh no, no. I'm the quiz avoid. master. You are You're the contestant. You're good at this. Paul I'm not. I see. I've always done this so when I've listened to the podcast, and I've always got all of them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been doing it for quite a few weeks. Now I've got to actually show myself up. That yeah, does cool. anything that I'm does doing. Does Paul just win every week? That's no, the impression not I get. At all. No, oh, last week was very. And Nikki DaCosta won a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, she yeah, did. She but did. She's and and often wins. Yeah. Okay. So what came first? With bonus points for naming the year. Oh, Hopefully God. this will work. So what came first? MPs no longer having to wear top hats to raise points of order. Or the common speaker no longer wearing a wig. Ooh, that's really good. I think the top hat thing was like 2001 when that ended. Really? I remember watching a video of, I think it was... I remember seeing it. Yeah. So I, I, it certainly happened <laughs> so in my time. It, it wasn't uh, I know this one. I, so I know the order. I'm not, sh- okay. I'm not sure of the I years. think because when Burko... Burko was the first to stop wearing a wig, wasn't he? No. So, was he not? No. Oh, no, Betty. Betty Boothroyd. Betty. He stopped wearing a... a so, he's, he's, it, so he stopped. He stopped wearing the. Uh, the You're right. The gown. The tights. The gown. And gown. Yeah. It was Betty. So it must be Betty before top hat. Yeah. yeah. So the wig went before wig top went hat. Before so top I'm pretty hat. sure I've seen a video of an MP raising a point of order. It's definitely but this is where I am going to yeah. play my Joker, Ooh. because you only have to wear the top hat to raise a point of order if you're raising the point of order during a division. Ooh. Nice knowledge. Do you still have to do that? No, not no. Anymore. But that that's what you said. It's only very recently gone. Uh-huh. Very recently. I've seen it happen, so I think it is relatively recent that. Each of your answers in turn, please. I think uh, you've I'm kind of collaboratively. I'm going for James said it first, but I'm gonna definitely yeah. It it yeah. was the wig before the top hat. Wig before top hat. Get James. in. 
Yeah, it I was. Go um, give us, give <laughs> us the dates. Uh, it was tradition for the speaker to wear a wig until 1992 when Betty Boothroyd, right, the right. first female speaker as well, decided not to wear one. Uh, and the top hats were abolished in 1998. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. So well done. My first everyone. year in Parliament, definitely. Um, what Last came event. first? Next question. <laughs> what came first? An MP carrying a baby through the voting lobbies or MPs no longer having to wear ties Ooh. in the chamber? I'm well, gonna, oh. my, look, Tom I remember what she called um, uh, Helene Heyman in the 1970s. I'm pretty sure she took a young baby through the lobby during a key vote in the Callaghan government. I might be wrong about that. Okay. But if, if that's the case, then it definitely wins hands down because yeah. Frankie Maud and co, you know, Mr. No Tie. Like no, not no, 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 no ties. Again, the Honourable Member for Sheffield Hallam uh, yeah. triggered Speaker Burko saying we no longer need to wear ties. And I think he's hardly turned up in the chamber since. So now uh, he's set the precedent, which he himself is not enjoying. So I think the ties is very recent. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing ties is 2017. You don't like this tie rule, do you? James is wearing a tie now. James is wearing a nice tie. Wearing it's a nice speak. green tie. Uh, the rest of us are. Blue I was going to come in dinner yeah. jacket, yeah, because yeah. of my radio appearances. <laughs> yeah, but Because um, I think it's a sign of respect to your constituents. I, I, baloney. No, well, yeah. I think it's baloney. <laughs> no, no, no look, but that is yeah. that is a personal thing for me. Well, I'm very conscious that uh, when I did constituency stuff, I would quite often wear slightly more casual stuff to to fit, and I'd turn up to things, and you forget. No, that's true. That when think. your MP comes to visit your charity or your work, it's a thing, and people were wearing suits because I was coming, and I'd turn yeah. up with an open neck shirt, and I think, oh, whoops. yeah, I get that. So for me, I think it's one of these things where as a, as, a, as, a, as a sign that I take the job that you've given me seriously and I'm going to dress accordingly. I, I have a rule, actually, which you probably won't like, which is backbenchers, no tie if I'm meeting them. Ministers, probably put a tie. Oh! <laughs> and is it a top hat for the Prime Minister? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> White tie for the Prime Minister. Go, go on, what's the answer then? Come on, actually, Ned's yeah. got to give his answer. Uh, I reckon it's uh, baby first, then tie. James? Yeah, baby first, then tie. Yeah, definitely. Paul, well, I didn't know about Paul's example, but it's the correct answer anyway. I was thinking of Duncan Hames, the Lib Dem MP. I yeah. think it's Carrying his and Joe Swinson's Hayman. baby through yeah. the voting lobbies into 2014. Uh, Paul always questions the basis of the quiz. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just because I'm old. It's just because I'm old. Uh, the tie rule was relaxed in, in 2017, so... Either way, oh, it's but, correct. But speakers still insist on us wearing bloody jackets in summer yeah. in the press gallery. And even uh, if it's sweltering, what, sometimes he suspends it. That got relaxed in, him, in, in, the, in this summer's outrageous heat wave, did, didn't did it? Did it get relaxed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah. Anyway, he loves us to see us suffer. Uh, MPs have to still wear jackets, don't they, in the chamber during, male during MPs heat? Yeah, male MPs, jackets. obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, final, final first. So what came first? The election of a black MP or House of Commons proceedings being televised? Oh, that's really good. Oh, one. that is a good one. So they were televised. When were they televised? Uh, oh, no, actually, that's, that's a really easy. I one. think it's, that's an unbelievably easy one. I think it's black MP first. Then black TV. MP first. Oh yeah, because it's long time ago. About a century. Yeah, yeah. A long time ago. It was, it was a Tory, wasn't it? Uh, first black uh, MP was a Tory, wasn't it? I think. Yes. Are you, are you talking about the? Um, Twins, if we're Indian. using black as in like operation. Yeah, the black Indian guy. Oh, I was. I wasn't. Oh, I, oh, I wasn't counting him. Ah, uh, uh, right. Okay. So beyond So there were there was a little. Funnily enough, there was a little flurry of. As we now describe as BAME MPs, um, like over a century ago, and then it just stopped. There was this massive hiatus, 
And then you have the trailblazers, um, Diane Burney and, uh, and, and, and oh God, never had Paul a speech. Paul that's it. Um, so I'm guessing that's what you're thinking about. So it was televised. I think, I think it was televised. The 80s, isn't it? We're talking it's about. It's either late 70s or. So was Thatcher. I think it's the 80s. 79, I think early 80s. And, and Bernie and Co. came in what, 83? Oh, it's a I reckon one. it's television before TV Black first. MPs. I'm going to say TV first. Ned? I'm going to stick with my first answer, which was Black MPs, then TV, just to. Uh, Ned's got that right. Whoa! Oh. Um, so Bernie Grant, Diane Abbott, and Paul Boateng were all elected in 1987. 87? House of Commons. House of Commons proceedings weren't televised until 1989. Ooh, wow. wow. The end of Thatcher. I suppose that makes sense, yeah. Wow. There you go. That'll well, teach me for, you know, siding with James. <laughs> I think Ned's won the quiz. Yeah. Well done, Ned. Hooray. I don't know how that happened. Look, well done. <laughs> it's uh, bias. Yeah, it's <laughs> bias. It's like a, a Fiona Bruce-style bias. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Fiona Let's Bruce? Me or I? Who is Fiona Bruce? <laughs> 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 Let's not go there. <laughs> Um, that's all we've got time for. Just to finish off, here's a clip of the Northern Powerhouse Minister Jake Berry basically asking for the sack by admitting he does not enjoy Greg sausage rolls. Thanks for listening. It's a great privilege to have the opportunity to appear before you this evening. I don't think you will be able to get a sausage roll, vegan or not, between my and the Honourable Member for Blythe Valley's ambition for his constituency. I will self-declare I am not taking part in V-January. V-January. I am not a vegan veganulist, the vegan equivalent of an evangelist. Um, but I have tried a Greg's vegan sausage roll, and it tasted to me much like any other Greg's vegan sausage roll, or uh, Greg's sausage roll, i.e. not very nice. 